Ahaz became king of Judah about 744 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. God's people were divided at this time into two kingdoms. The ten northern tribes were the kingdom of Israel, and their capital city was Samaria. And the two southern tribes were called the kingdom of Judah. Interesting, even though it also was the tribe of Benjamin. And their capital city was Jerusalem. Now, Israel was very concerned about Assyria, this rising, aggressive power to the north. And so was Syria, not Assyria, but Syria. And so Israel made a treaty or an alliance with Syria. And they said, hey, if Assyria attacks, together we'll fight them. And they wanted to uh, expand this alliance. And so they were putting pressure on Ahaz uh, to get Judah to join But Ahaz didn't want to be a part of their alliance. Well, this was not okay with Israel and Syria. And so they made plans to invade Judah and conquer it. And then make make it uh, join the alliance and fight against the Assyrians. So Ahaz knew that he was soon to be attacked by Syria and Israel. And Isaiah the prophet of God whose book we're studying during this series, uh, Isaiah told Ahaz, hey, trust the Lord. The Lord will take care of you. Just trust him. But trusting was not enough for Ahaz. He thought he had something better he could do. And so he sent a bunch of money to Assyria and said, hey, would you do me a favor? Would you please attack Syria and Israel? And Ahaz believed, if I do this, then uh, Syria and Israel will be busy fighting off the Assyrians and uh, pressures off me. And it worked to an extent. Assyria probably already intended to uh, attack Syria and Israel. And now, they, now, now their campaign was financed by Judah. And so they said, sure. And boom. They went up and uh, started with an attack on Syria. And this happened uh, 734 BC. It was a two-year campaign. And first Damascus fell. And many of the Syrians were hauled off into exile. And then the king of Assyria, Tiglath-Pileser, he came down into Israel and conquered a big chunk of northern Israel, stopped at Jezreel. And at that time, Pekah, who was the king of Israel, bowed the knee to Tiglath-Pileser and made Israel a vassal state to the Assyrian Empire. Now, I say it only partly worked because in 732, Ahaz himself had to travel up to Damascus and offer Judah as a vassal state to Assyria as well. And so every year, tribute marched out of Judah and off to the land of Assyria. And so did many of the uh, Judean boys. They had to go fight in Tiglath-Pileser's armies. Well, Ahaz died in 728 BC. And his son, Hezekiah, took over as king. And the Bible says good things about Hezekiah. 
Uh, he was a godly man. And he was a good king. And so the Bible gives him high praise. Uh, he reestablished the worship of the Lord in Israel. Uh, uh, in Judah, he tore down the high places with their idols. And so he was a, he was a good king. However, in our, in our Bible text today, um, he, he makes a bad decision. And God has to chastise him and his counselors. So, when Hezekiah became king, he decided, I don't want to be sending money off to Assyria. I don't want to be sending our boys off to fight. And so, Hezekiah rebelled and said, I'm no longer willing to be a vassal state. We're going to go back to being independent. The north kingdom of Israel thought, hey, that's a good idea. And they did it also. Well, uh, the Assyrians didn't like this. The, the Assyrians had a, uh, a habit of when, when a kingdom rebelled against them, they had to go teach it a lesson. And so sure enough, in 722, Assyria marches into Israel and utterly conquers the kingdom of Israel. The 10 tribes are destroyed and, the, and the, those left over are hauled off into exile. But the Assyrians stop at the border of Judah. As you can imagine, Hezekiah and his counselors are shaking in their boots. Uh, we've got to be next. Assyria is not going to allow us to continue in our rebellion. What are we going to do in the face of the threat of the mighty Assyrians? The Assyrian uh, army was the most powerful army in the world, and it was the dominant nation. What, where, what are we going to do faced with this great threat? Where do we turn in our time of trouble? Now, where should God's people turn? They should turn to God, right? God, we are faced with annihilation. We're faced with this great enemy, with this threat. What do we do? And had they done that, they would have heard from the Lord, trust me, I'll take care of it. But they didn't. Instead, they approached the, the threat with, with their human thinking, with their human wisdom. They didn't turn to the Lord. Instead, they turned to Egypt. Egypt was down south. So Assyria is in the north and they're coming from the north and Judah turns to the south, Egypt. Egypt was another powerful nation. And Egypt was undoubtedly also getting a little nervous at the empire expanding uh, plans of, uh, of Assyria. And so Judah sent a bunch of money down to Egypt and said, Egypt, we want to be in an, in an alliance with you. If Assyria comes to attack us, you'll come up and fight with us. And that sounded good to the, to the Egyptians. Uh, the Egyptians were undoubtedly concerned about the Assyrians and probably thought to themselves, hey, I, we would much rather fight the Assyrians in Judah rather than fight them in our own country. And so they agreed to, to this alliance. Well, God was not pleased with Judah, his people, making an alliance with the Egyptians. And so he sends Isaiah, his prophet, to confront 
Judah and to tell them this alliance was a, an act of faithlessness and it's not going to serve you well. In fact, it will not protect you from the Assyrians. They will destroy you despite this alliance with Egypt. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 30. And I, is, Judah is a negative example, but we can learn some positive things about what we should do in the times of trouble in our own lives. And do we ever find ourselves in time of trouble? Absolutely. I know you do, because Jesus tells us, in this world you'll have trouble. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Isaiah chapter 30. I'll start reading here in verse 1. Ah, uh, stubborn children, declares the Lord. Other translations, woe. Ah, uh, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine, and who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. For though his officials are at Zoan and his envoys reach Hanes, everyone comes to shame through a people that cannot profit them. And that brings shame, neither help nor profit, but shame and disgrace. I see in this text four things God's people should do when facing trouble. And the first is this. Consult God before you act. Consult God before you act. Consult God before you act. Going to Egypt made total sense from human wisdom and from a, uh, the, the mind of man. It made total sense. Judah could not stand on its own against the mighty Assyrian army. But hey, right down to the south is the big Egyptian nation and, and its big army. And hey, they are scared of Assyria also. Let's just make an alliance with them. And combine forces, maybe that'll be enough to actually scare Assyria off and it won't even invade us. And if they do, maybe we have a chance. It made total sense from a human point of view. But had God's people consulted their God before acting, they would have heard from the Lord, it's a mistake. Don't do it. Instead, Trust me. Instead, trust me. But they didn't consult the Lord. And as a result, they enter into this alliance that uh, turned out to be like a, uh, like a broken staff. Judah leans on it, and poof, it just falls down on them. They carry out a plan, but not mine. They didn't ask me. They make an alliance, not of my spirit, I'm not in this. They set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction. 
So, so when you find yourself facing trouble, boy, the pressure's on to do something. You gotta, you gotta act, you gotta do something. Well, the thing to do is turn to God and say, God, what should I do? What, what do you advise, Lord? That needs to be our first instinct. Our first action is to go consult with the Lord. And if we'll do that, uh, we, can, we can avoid a lot of uh, heartache and a lot of missteps in life. You know, Charles Stanley tells a story of, he was a pastor and he had a, a, a parishioner friend who came to him one day and said, uh, Pastor Stanley, I have a really nice piece of property that I want to just give you. And in fact, I, I want to build you a house on this property, totally free of charge, it's all on me. Um, and you get to help design it you're in it from the get-go. It's just, I just feel this desire to bless you and your family. Now, Charles Stanley said, why do I need to consult the Lord? He didn't actually say this, but he said, it made sense to me. Of course, of course I should have this free, beautiful new house. And so they headed out, uh, drawing up plans and, and getting things going. But then one day during his devotion time, he, he felt the Lord speaking to him, I'm not in this. You should not do this. And uh, Charles Stanley says, I've ignored the voice of the Lord too many times and I've been stung too many times. And so I went to my friend and said, we have to stop. I don't know why, but I'm hearing from the Lord that he's not in this, and therefore it cannot, it won't be a blessing to me, and I, I want out. We need to consult the Lord before we act. Now, as Christians, we, we often get it right in the big things. You know, before I marry somebody, yeah, I'll pray about it. Uh, before I take a job, okay, I'll pray about it. Before I move to a new city, I'll pray about it. But but I want to encourage you to uh, discipline yourself to consult the Lord even in the small things. Even in the small things. Uh, the Lord loves to give us the mind of Christ. And, and the more that we will discipline ourselves to consult the Lord before acting, the wiser the moves that we'll make and the less cul-de-sacs we'll find ourselves standing in and the less heartache will come our way. All right, the second thing I see in this text that God's people should do when facing trouble is to take shelter in God and not people or things. Take shelter in God. Look at verse 2. They set out to go down to Egypt to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Where should they be taking refuge? Where should they be seeking shelter? With God. He is their protector. He's their God. And instead they're going to Pharaoh and Egypt. And that is an affront to God. Now, 
Peacemaker Ministries has a great way of diagnosing whether you have stopped trusting in the Lord to take care of you and you've begun to trust in a person or a thing. And they say, ask yourself this, when does I want become I need? As soon as I want becomes I need, you've begun to build an idol in your life. And you are no longer trusting the Lord to provide for you what is right and good and needed. You've begun to decide for yourself what is needed. I, I need this. I must have this. So, for example, Sabrina and I had a, a dear friend in seminary. And she wanted to be married. And that's a good desire. And so she was bringing that desire to the Lord. But at some point, I want became I need. And then she became discontent with waiting on the Lord to provide her a Christian husband. And somewhere in her heart, she decided, I need to be married. And if God's not going to bring me a Christian husband in my time, I'm going to go settle for a non-Christian. And so she did. She married a, a non-Christian, despite the Bible saying, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And it has significantly affected her spiritual life as she's yoked herself to, to a non-Christian man. So she, we, you know, God will often provide through us, to us, uh, for us, through people and things. But the danger is that we begin to look to the people and the things, the means by which God is providing for us, and we begin to look to them as our Savior rather than con uh, continuing to take shelter in God alone. Don't start thinking Pharaoh's going to save you. Always remember, it is God who takes care of you. Third thing God's people should do that I see in this text when facing trouble is this. Don't Go back to your old ways of coping. Egypt. Egypt represents uh, the life before Christ. Right? Egypt is where the people of God were in slavery. And God delivered them from Egypt. And he took them to the promised land. And while they were... On the way to the promised land, some of the Israelites said, we want to go back to Egypt. It was better in Egypt. And that really disappointed the Lord. That angered him. They were wanting to go back to life before Christ. God says, no, no, no. So to go make an alliance with Egypt is especially egregious. Because it's saying we want to go back to uh, the way it was before our special relationship with God. When you're facing times of, tr uh, of trouble, it is so tempting to go back to the coping mechanisms you used before you knew Jesus. Because look, the fact is, before you knew Jesus, you had developed some coping mechanisms to deal with life. And they work to some degree, but they did not include God, and they often were sinful. But when you're in the, in the pressure cooker and, the, and, the, and you're in the midst of trouble, 
The temptation is to go back and reuse those sinful, unfaithful coping mechanisms. So, for example, Christian shows up late to work. The reason they're late to work is because they had unwisely stayed up late playing video games, couldn't get up in the morning to make it to work. The boss says, hey, why are you late today? Now, in the past, they had used lying to get out of such situations. And so the temptation is to say, oh, my car wouldn't start. Or my iPhone battery went out on me and I had to go get a new one. Or, and, and blame it on some, some external issue rather than admit I was foolish. And as a result, I was late. And so the temptation, boy, they've done it in the past. It's worked in the past. Here's an opportunity and Satan's right there saying, just lie and get out of this thing. But the Christian knows, wait a second. Uh, lying is wrong. God does not want me to employ ungodly means in, to get out of this tight spot. And so, maybe it's, you know, pre-Christ, you, you had learned to uh, lie, you had learned to cheat, you had learned to be aggressive, to use curse words, to manipulate, to intimidate to cheat, uh, you had gone to um, sexual promiscuity, they're just drugs, alcohol. There are so many ways that, uh, unrighteous ways to cope with trouble. And God says to the Christian, hey, when you find yourself in a time of trouble, do not go back to your old coping ways. You Stay faithful to me. You trust me. You do what is right. Limit yourself to doing what is right. And I'll take care of you. Final, final thing I see in this text uh, that God's people should do when facing uh, trouble is to make sure that they uh, limit them, take God's path. For salvation. See, God had laid out for uh, the Jews the way to be saved. And we find it here in verse, in verse 15. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. By the way, I think it's interesting that it's past tense. For thus said the Lord God. He had already revealed the way to be saved to his people. They just hadn't taken his, his path. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning, many translations use the word repenting, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. So Isaiah had already been prophesying or preaching to the people of Judah for 20 some years at, by this time. He'd, God had already told the, his people, here's how you can get saved. Repent of your sin. Stop doing what you're doing. Return to me. Rest in me. 
give control of your lives over to me and let me be God in your life. And if you do that, I will take care of you. You'll be safe. But. So it's not that, it's not that the people of Judah didn't know how they could be saved from the threat of Assyria. They just didn't want God's salvation. That's what Isaiah tells us right here at the very last statement of verse 15. But you were unwilling. And you said, no. No, we don't want God's salvation. Instead, we're going to save ourselves. But no, we will flee upon horses. Therefore, you will flee away. You're going to flee from the Assyrians when they march into your land. And you said, we will ride upon swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers shall be swift. Those Assyrians on their horses are going to chase you down. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you shall flee. Till you are left like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. God had, through his prophet Isaiah, had offered a path of salvation to his people, and they didn't take it. They didn't take it because they didn't want to repent. They didn't want to change their way. They didn't want to humble themselves before the Lord. They didn't want to release control of their lives over to God. There is no greater danger we face than the danger of God's wrath that rests upon us for our sin. Hebrews tells us that it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. And we're told that all have sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. And the penalty of sin is death. And there, that's the greatest trouble that faces you and faces me and faces every man, woman, and child on the planet. The judgment of God for our sin. But God, in his love, has provided a way of escape. He has provided a path of salvation. And it's pretty much the same thing as we've read right here. Repent of your sins and put your faith in my son, Jesus Christ. And relinquish control of your life to me. Rest in me. Make me the God in your life. Walk with me humbly. You know, in the New Testament, in John, we're told... uh, Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We're told uh, that whoever makes, uh, receives Jesus, God gives them the right to become his children. God offers salvation to you, but you've got to take him up on it. You cannot save yourself. Many people, they say, I'm going to save myself by just being good enough. Because being good enough means I don't have to humble myself before the Lord. I don't have to repent and change. And I can still be in control. I don't have to hand over control of my life to another. God says, oh, your good works are like filthy rags. They're going to do you no good. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. 
There's only one path of salvation that God offers us. You cannot save yourself. God wants you to be saved, but it comes about through repenting of your sins and putting your faith in God's Son, Jesus, and letting Him become the leader of your life. So let's respond to this great text. What do we do when we find ourselves in times of trouble? First, we consult God before we act. So let's think about that. Are you willing to commit yourself to doing that? And so you might pray something right now like this. God, I too, too often just trust my own thinking. I make my own plans apart from you without coming to you humbly and asking for your wisdom. And Lord, that, that is not good. It doesn't honor you. It doesn't honor the offer that you make to me for, of wisdom. It doesn't honor the fact that I'm indwelt with your Holy Spirit and you want to give me the mind of Christ if I'll only ask. And so Lord, I repent of that just going through life on my own smarts. And I am committing myself, Lord, to consult you before acting. Are you willing to pray that? God will honor that. Any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God. It gives generously without finding fault. It will be given to him. Secondly, when we're in times of trouble, we are to shelter in God alone. And so maybe you could pray something like this. God, I have, I have allowed too many wants to become needs. I've erected idols. And I have begun to look at people and things as my Savior rather than you. And so, Lord, right now, I just choose to knock those idols down. And I come to you, and I take refuge in you, and I seek shelter in you. I am going to cast my anxieties upon you and trust that you care for me and that they're in your capable hand. I'm not going to rely on myself, and I'm not going to rely on other people or money or, or fame, or a job, I'm going to rely on you, my God. You willing to pray that? Third thing to do when faced with trouble is do not go back to your old coping mechanisms. Don't return to your pre-Christ way of doing things. So, you could pray like this. You say, God, too often I revert back to doing things the way I did before I knew you, before I was indwelt with your spirit and had knowledge of your truth. And God, those places, they, they promise to help and it might look that I might get my way in the moment, but it always comes back to harm me and comes back to bite me. It's not, it's not the right thing 
way. And so, Lord, would you help me in the day-by-day, moment-by-moment struggle to trust you with my wants and to limit myself to pursuing those wants in only righteous ways. I commit myself to that, Lord, afresh. Willing to pray that? And then finally, we are to take God's path of salvation. So I'm speaking to to those of you who have not yet become Christians. You've not yet repented of your sins and, and made Jesus Savior and Lord of your life. And I want to encourage you right now to do that. And there aren't any magical words, but, but you could pray something like this. And if you mean it, the best you know how, God will honor your prayer. So you would say, God, I don't want to be apart from you anymore. I don't want to have to live in fear of coming judgment. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner I know that, that it's, you are right to judge me, Lord. Um, but I want to be saved. And you offer me salvation in your son, Jesus. He took the penalty for my sin upon himself when he died on the cross. And, and I receive that. Lord, and I'm, I am repenting of my sins. I'm willing to change my life. Change the way I live. I don't want to be independent of you anymore. I don't want to do wrong anymore. I want to please you. And so, Lord, I repent of my sins and I am am putting my faith in your son, Jesus. I'm going to make him the Lord of my life. I humble myself. I bow the knee to Jesus. You now become king. And I'll follow your teachings and I will become your servant for a lifetime. Something like that. Uh, God, see, if that's the cry of your heart, you know what? God says, to, to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become children of God. He's made these promises to you in Scripture, and he'll keep these promises. That your sins will be forgiven. You will be indwelt with the Spirit of God, who will empower you to live a life that pleases the Lord, who will help you grow in likeness. And when you die, God will take you raise you from the dead, and take you to be with him for all eternity. Well, what, what an, another incredible message from Isaiah. The Bible is amazing. It is just sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And we're so thankful that God has taken the time to reveal himself to us through his word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this uh, word uh, through your servant Isaiah. And we are committing ourselves to uh, responding right in our times of trouble. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.